the In Conversation podcast series, with author, Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. podcast. Please like the podcast, podcast. and subscribe podcast. to this channel. Podcast. Thank you. Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now. Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My new book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices. Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life. Available from Amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available. When the mood is right, a poetry journey and mood swings by Queen P. Available on Amazon and all good bookstores. The Royal Affair by Queen P. Dim the lights, sit back, relax, and breathe. You have entered into the Royal Affair. Queen P. Poetry Podcasts. Available now, 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 now. The Royal Affair. Engage. The black community up until now has depended on others to create a platform for us to exist on as a community when it comes to our online presence. On these platforms, we've created groups, pages and shared community related information, but have never been able to call them our own. We as a group recognize the need to own our own digital space and online presence. Blackchat.co.uk, the social network platform built for our community. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my In Conversation podcast series. My guest for this episode is the co-founder of the social media platform blackchat.co.uk, Carlos Anthony. Hi, Carlos. Welcome to my In Conversation podcast series. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So where are you living at the moment? I'm in the West Midlands. So did you grow up in that area? Born and bred in Birmingham, but I spent most of my adult life up until my mother got ill in London, you know. So from the age of 16, basically, I, I moved into London and then I, I went back to Birmingham for a short while and then went back to London. I understand you've been involved with various businesses and organisations. What type of industries have you been involved with? The first kind of serious business, if you like, that I was involved with was cleaning. <laughs> yeah. Me and my brother started up a liquor. My parents, they didn't really have a lot of money or anything like that, you know. So I had to do certain things like, you know, I used to go to school when I was at school. I used to buy bags of sweets. And then what I'd do is I'd, I'd sell the sweets individually to make a profit, you know what I mean? And, and that type of thing, because we didn't have a lot of money. So I kind of learned to survive, a kind of a hustle, but to survive, not to become a millionaire, to become rich or anything, right? And then I remember we wanted to start, I wanted to start a business um, with my brother and me and him decided that we'd start a cleaning company. We went out and we bought one of them hydraulic, you know, them kind of cleaning, expensive cleaner things that we started to have. But this time we never know nothing about cleaning. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? We just went and bought the machine and then we started to advertise cleaning. And this is really, really how I really started to get into business. I was walking down the street one day. I was approached by this guy, English bloke. He had with him 
a Motorola 4500X phone. This is one of those phones that look like a suitcase. He said to me, you see this, this is a phone. This time I'd never, you know, I see the phones on James Bond and things like that, but that was phone in the car or phone in the shoe and things like that. So I was totally amazed when I saw this guy with this phone. And he said to me, he said, make a call, call anybody, call anybody. Well, the only number I could remember at that time was my mom's, you know, home number. I pressed it and it started to ring. And he says, you can have one of those. All you got to do is to sign here and sign there. So in those days, he used to lease it. And he said to me, if you sign for this, I can make you make some money. This is what the guy said to me. And I said, all right, this sounds interesting. So I'm signing a lease agreement for this phone. And he says to me, everybody who you sign, who you get to kind of sign for a phone and get a phone, I got that phone. He gave me two lease agreement papers and told me to go and get some other people to sign and I'd get paid. And I got a check from him for £1,400 for getting two people to sign. And when was that? This was 1991-92, something like that. A while ago then. Yeah, yeah. So that was a lot of money. When I got that check, I cashed the money. What he did, he called me up and he said, look, I can set you up with an account with Vodak. This is really Vodafone, but it was called Vodak. He set me up as a dealer for Vodak. That means I can get people to sign now. All they have to do is sign. And this is not for the phone. This is for airtime contract. And do you know, I wouldn't get anybody else to sign. I didn't think it was right. And I never used it for three years. I sat on it. I had the dealership and I never used it. That £1,400... I got, I think he was getting about another two and a half on top. Do you understand? So you was leasing something. And then one day I was I was having a conversation with my brother and he said something about, you know, mobile phones are coming in. Now they're getting smaller. He was going, oh, you want to get a mobile phone? And I said to him, you know, I've got dealership for that. And he looked at me and he thought, nah. He said, yeah, well, well do something with it. Do something with it. I said, all right then. So all we did was we got pictures of the phones. And we went to Bullring, we talked to the people in Bullring and asked them if we could have a little table by the lifts that come down. And we was at the bottom of the escalator that came down from the Palisade into the Bullring shopping centre. And we had these tables with just pictures of phones. We never had no phones. We just had pictures of the phone. And we started to sell phones based on pictures. So they were signing for us with the airtime. And we was earning £250, £450 airtime commission a month for each one of those that was being sold. Do you understand? That's how it was. Within a month, we got a shop inside the Bullring Shopping Centre. You know, we was one of the first black guys to have a shop in there. I think we was the first. So that was my first business. Well, Carlos, you're currently involved with the IT and social media industry. How did you get involved with that? At the age of 15, I was begging my mum for a company. And she really couldn't afford it but she got hp and she got me a, a computer i remember it cost her 1200 pounds you imagine 1200 pounds in those days i was on that computer and i was messing about i was doing publishing i was learning publishing and anything i could do with the computer i was just trying i was trying to learn it all what i came across i came across this thing called bulletin boards before the internet they had bulletin boards I was hooked on these bulletin boards because I was totally amazed. These were people somewhere else in the world that I was talking to in text. When they started to launch this internet thing, it was very, very basic. So that's when I actually got into IT. 
I started to develop websites and things like that. We learned how to build a web page. That was in 92, 93 type of thing. That's when we started to really understand a little bit more about the internet and doing the images. And in 1996, both my brother and myself, we went to university together as mature, mature students. Even though I'm a lot older than my brother, we both went together to study new media and technology. New media being the internet and technology and how it works. When we got to the university, we actually knew we knew more than the tutor. So we was helping the students do what the tutor didn't know how to do. And it was like that. And we started Blacknet in East London University. That's where we started it. So was Blacknet your first active website? Yeah. So when you launched Blacknet, what were the objectives? Well, me and my brother, we got into... We did promotions over the West Midlands and promotions in London as well, right? And this is music events with artists and things like that. We was doing events with purpose. Yes, we put a DJ here. Like, we used to run game shows. We had one called um, Mr. Super Cool, K-O-O-L, right? And this was just about the way the man could just, the way the man carry himself. We had play your cards, right, as well. So it was interactive. What we didn't want to do, we didn't want to just put a DJ in a dance and call it a dump. We learned a lot about the community, interacting with the community and all of that. When the internet came, we kind of recognised that this could be a tool that could be used for us as a community to interact with each other all over the UK. We used to have people that used to come down to our events from out of town just because they heard about our event. Once we understood the internet, we said, well, we can use this to actually get more people coming from all over the place. And believe me, we did. People started to sign up with us and they was giving us their email address. And we ran dance just on email alone. This is before Facebook and all that. We send email out and invite people and dance tickets sell out one time. So we knew that. But then we thought we can develop something that would help our community come together. You know what I mean? And understand and can interact and deal with issues. And that's what Blacknet was there for. So we kind of was a, a magazine and a newsletter and all kind of things all in one. We believed that this could help to empower and uplift us as a community. That's what we thought. So what current online projects are you involved with? Well, Blacknet is still there, but it's changed. I think it's important that I say that, you know, Blacknet was doing very, very well up until 2006. In 2005, 2006, yeah, to uh, call it 2006 a month, she was diagnosed with dementia. And at that time, both myself and my brother had to make a, a decision as to whether we continued to develop Blacknet or give our time up to mum, start looking after mum. Junior was going off to Manchester at that time. My mum was in Birmingham, who was in London. My brother was getting married. He was marrying a woman who was from Manchester. And we didn't shut Blacknet down. We just didn't continue to do to develop it. In order yeah, to develop yeah. it, we had to put a lot of time in it. And right now, my main focus was on my mum having dementia or Alzheimer's in particular. From 2006, we never did anything. But that's around the time when Facebook come into play. One of the things with the West Midlands, West Midlands was about six years behind London. So they was just coming on, the West Midland people were just coming on to internet in 2005, 2006. Whereas the Londoners, they were in from about 99, 2000. 
the bulk of our people that used to follow Blacknet, they were from London. So what type of projects are you currently involved with? The major one for me that we're involved with, online project, is one called the Pearl Support Network. It's a dementia support organisation. When my mum had the dementia, contacted the Alzheimer's Society and the age concerned. And I was asking them, what do I do with my mum? She's got this Alzheimer's. So you're the Alzheimer's Society. So I'm contacting you, asking you, what do I do with her? And they said to me, well, we haven't got a cure for them. So the only thing that you can do is to help her to live well with it. I'm saying, well, yeah, but tell me, what do I do? So they said, oh, well, we've got this thing called Sing for the Brain. And we've got these things called Memory Cafe. So they sing for the brain and in the memory caps as well, what they do is they bring out items, memorable items from the past that they can relate to. Well, the memory cap was the key thing, right? When they've got dementia, a lot, a lot of them go back in time. So they go back to when they was young. So if they're singing things from the past, that makes them feel good and they feel comfortable and it helps, it helps to slow down any deterioration of the brain. So I took my mum to one of these memory caps. There was like 12 people there, three Caribbeans, my mum made for, and the rest were kind of English people. And they were singing songs. They brought out this hat, pointed hat, white hat, with a big red D on the front. And they was passing it around. And all the people, they was laughing. Oh, yeah, they remember this at school. They used to put this on the head and put them in the corner. And they passed it to the, the Caribbean women. And they kind of looked at this thing, wondering what it was, and just passed it on. And then there was, they were showing pictures, some old pictures of people in the schools in England. The English people, they were going, oh, yeah, yeah. And they were laughing and joking. All the, the Caribbeans, all they did was pass the picture on. Then they started singing, and they were singing Vera Lynn, things from the war, and all the English people were singing. And then the Caribbeans, you could see them trying to hum along. When it finished, I asked the ladies, I said, how, how did you feel about that? They said they feel like nobody doesn't care about them. I contacted the Alzheimer's Society and I said to them, I took my mom to one of these things. I said, this is not right. It's not culturally sensitive. I said, it's not taking into consideration where my mom comes from. I said to my brother, I goes, look, we're going to have to try and address this. So we decided that we was going to set up our own memory caps, what we call culturally sensitive memory caps. And we did that. And we started to do a culturally sensitive memory cap. And we had, you know, we got a place and we, we got in our old gram and we got the music in and we got things from the Caribbean. All these kind of images. We made roller banners with images on, right, that we called memory walls and things like that. You know, we had dominoes. They really had a good time and they really left their feeling good. You know, this was culturally sensitive. Then we realised that there were some people in their homes and some people that were in care homes we recognised this was something that needed to be done all over. We worked out and developed a kind of an online website stroke app to help people who don't know much about the Caribbean, to help them to be able to interact with, um, with somebody who they didn't know the background of. So we had a memory box that they could dip into. And when they dipped into that, they could build up information about that person and if that person went away, that carer or family member went away and somebody else stepped in, they could take up and build on top of what the other person had built. We entered 2018 Mayor of London's Innovation Challenge and we, we was one of the winners of that. 
my knowledge of how the online world operates is pretty basic. Can you explain to me in simple terms so I can understand how algorithms work? Giving it in simple terms, it's a way of controlling the output that's received based on what's received and what they want the output to be. So if you search for something, let's say you search for cars, the algorithm is what decides which selection of cars you will receive first. Then, let's say, for instance, you search for cars 10 times. The algorithms can check where you're coming from, and it can check basically who you are, and it can provide you with information, or it can stop you. Algorithms can control what you do. Like on Facebook, if you post something to a friend of yours on Facebook, if you share an image, the algorithms can detect whether you've got an extra link in there, an outside link. And if it's got an outside link, the algorithms are taught to not make that reach as many people. If you've got no link, it reaches more people. So would it be fair to say that an algorithm controls outcomes online? Yes, absolutely. Whatever Facebook wants is what they tell the algorithms to do. Well, you mentioned Facebook. How do you feel about the dominance of Facebook and Instagram, for example, regarding social media? I mean, they're good at what they do. I think that people need to understand the control, Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp especially, and Twitter, or as you know, Facebook owns WhatsApp and Instagram. So this means they control most of most of people's life. And this goes for whatever community, whatever communities, not just our communities, but there are other, other communities that address the control in a different way from the black community. I think that what a lot of black people don't recognize is how much damage that some of these social media networks are doing to our community. And by that, I mean, there's a lot of people that are talking about you know, recycling the black pound. And, you know, they're going onto Facebook and they're creating some big groups. What a lot of people don't realize is that even though there are some companies that make a lot of money overall, it's, it's having a, a very negative effect on the community from a financial perspective. The black pound is now leaking out of the community via these social media networks. When you're setting up a group on social media and you're saying to help to recycle the black pound and all of that, all you're doing is putting more money in Facebook's pocket and taking more money out of the black community's you know, circulation. So, Carlos, what are your views then regarding black people controlling their own media narrative? Yeah, in order for them to control their own media narrative, they first have to control their own media. They first have to own media in order to control the narrative. And it's as simple as that. And at the moment, we own very little in the way of media in this country, which is why we have Black Chat and Black Net and Black Search and all of that, because we do believe that we're supposed to control our own narrative. If we don't control the media, then we don't control the narrative. It's as simple as that. So what other activities are you involved with, online or offline? Offline ones is a lot of culturally sensitive memory caps to support people living with dementia. That's our offline one. We're doing that in the West Midlands and also in certain parts of London. But at the moment, obviously, due to COVID, as soon as everything opens back, we hope we'll be doing that again. Online, we've built the, um, or put together the social network. 
which we call Black Chat, blackchat.co.uk. So Black Chat, as it stands at the moment, is a social network similar but not the same as Facebook. It's similar to Facebook in as far as you can create groups, you can create pages, you can share videos. You can do more or less anything on Facebook apart from the live. But it's a social network. We put it in place to try and stop the Black Pound leaking out of the community, which is happening through other social media networks. We believe it's important that we as Black people own our own media media outlet so that we can then control the narrative. So Black Chat is very much a social media network that's aimed at the African and Caribbean community, giving them something that they can identify with and call their own. And Black Chat is not to stop any other community coming there and using it. Anybody can come there and using it, but they must understand that it's in place to uplift and empower the African and Caribbean community. Because whereas on Facebook, you know, you put anything black up there, they control it and they say it goes wherever. Same thing on Google. Google will pick what comes to the top. We're saying, no, this is about helping to build our own community. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're a white man, you can come on to Black Chat. Okay, you're Asian, you can come on to Black Chat. But it's about the African and Caribbean culture. That's what it's about. And we're about empowering and uplifting and sharing culturally sensitive and relative information. Then we've got a search engine, which is basically what some people will call the black Google, but I don't like that. It's just black. It's a black search engine that can be found at www.blacksearch.net. Then we've got a video sharing platform, which is a bit like YouTube, blackvision.co.uk. That's our version of YouTube, Black Chat, the social network, Black Search, Black Vision. We're actually developing one called Black Sound as well. What we're going to do, Black Net and Black Chat is going to become one eventually. Yeah, I think Black Chat will become Black Net. They're kind of doing similar things now, but Black Chat is the more updated system, if you see what I'm saying, where Black Net, as it is now, is probably the older system. So we feel we're going to turn Black Net into the social network that is currently known as Black Chat. And that's because the Black Net name, we think, fits better for the social network than Black Chat because it's more generic. Plus, Black Net itself has got a good name, people that know Black Net from back in the day. And I'm talking about organisations, companies and things like that. We've got a good name amongst them. So we can turn Black Chat to Black Net and they will know where we're coming from. So, Carlos, how can people contact you? anybody wants to visit us all they need to do is to visit blackchat.co.uk carlos on there and you'll find me on there you can send me a message if you want carlos in the west midlands uk thank you very much for your time yes you're welcome thank you for having me thank you for listening please like subscribe and share another in conversation podcast coming soon